0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: The scripture reading today will be taken from Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 to 21. I'll give us a moment to grab our Bibles or you can follow the passage on the screen. Galatians chapter 2 verses 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain, yet not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognize that I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, by the faith, but by the faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we just find ourselves also amongst the sinner, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuilt what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained, through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you to God. Okay, I'm now going to uh, uh, share with you the gospel uh, coming from Galatians chapter 2. So I hope that you'll be able to follow uh, with what I'm saying to you right now. So we're going to uh, actually go and begin with a word of prayer. Uh, So let's go to God in prayer right now. Uh, Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for your God who speaks and speaks powerfully in your word, in the book of Galatians. Uh, dear Father, we pray for us all here that uh, we will be able to take our eyes away from our worries, our cares, uh, perhaps even uh, from our struggles with uh, with many uh, concerns about uh, the COVID situation and really turn to your word, to what is eternal and what really counts in the long run. And so we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, let me see, I've got to get the slide up first. Okay. Now, usually when I buy things, uh, I usually add something else to them. Uh, it's very common for all of us, right? So, you know, you buy a burger from McDonald's and then you add your Coke and your fries. Or, you know, I remember when I got my hand, my, 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 uh, uh, my handphone, and, you know, you, you add on your headset. Or, you know, if you're a lady, I remember my wife said, that, uh, you know, if you buy your necklace, you can add on a pair of uh, matching earrings. Now, the question that uh, we want to ask today is, uh, is adding things to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it good or is it bad? Okay, so I've got a slide here. Are adding things to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it better or worse? Is it good or bad? Because, you know, in the world we live in, usually when you add something to something, it's usually good, right? So, you know, you you add popcorn to movie, it's good. You add sauce to your steak, it's good. You add a drink to your meal, that's great. But is that the case when we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's the question that we're going to be dealing with in today's passage. So, it begins today in chapter 2, verse 1. So, it says, 14 years later, I went up, and I, here as Paul, the apostle, went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, that I was running or I ran my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We do not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, sorry, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. So here, Paul is continuing on from where he left off last week. So last week we were looking at chapter one. okay so in chapter one, verse 11, uh, Paul began this section where he shares his, uh, in a sense of autobiography, he shares about incidences in his life. And so last week in chapter one, uh, what we saw was that Paul wanted to share about how he had been personally chosen, called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. He also shared about how He had been specially entrusted and be given special revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, as we look at chapter 2, we're continuing on Paul uh, giving his revelation in the sense of his own life. What happened in his own experience. And so he shares about what happened in Jerusalem. So he talks about how he went to Jerusalem. But he didn't go to Jerusalem because, you know, uh, he wanted to go there on a holiday. He needed a bit of a break. Or, you know, he was a tourist and wanted to see the sights. But he went to Jerusalem because of who was in Jerusalem. And so who particularly was in Jerusalem? It was these people called the apostles. Okay, so the 12 apostles were in Jerusalem. But he didn't just go to the uh, generic 12 apostles. He actually went to see the leaders of the pillars of the 12 apostles. So so here we have a you know a picture of it. Obviously, they won't call Satan during the day, day, but uh, I got this from the internet. So here are the original 12 apostles. So who did he seek out in Jerusalem? Well, he went to seek out Peter, James, and John. Okay, so these were like the leaders and the pillars of the 12 apostles. So why did Paul go to Jerusalem to seek out these leaders or these pillars of the Apostles. Well, the reason was because he wanted, it said there, to set before them the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. Now, it would be very important for Paul to do this, right? Because he had been given the gospel of Jesus Christ by special revelation, special and trusting. Because you remember last week, Jesus appeared to him in a vision on the road to Damascus, and therefore he had... He had been given this gospel in a supernatural, divine, revelation way. And so he was going now to Peter, James, and John to, in a sense, put his gospel under their uh, uh, leadership and to see whether the gospel he'd been preaching for the last 14 years was the same gospel that they had also received when they walked and talked and ate with Jesus Christ. And so what was the result of Paul's journey to set before the gospel, before these pillars of the apostles, well, tells us that uh, those men he says in verse six added nothing to my message, and this is good news, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was studying, especially for my uh, in my primary school days, my secondary school days, for my Chinese writing, my Chinese essays, uh, my teachers they had a lot to add to my essays. All right, my essays were full of. Red ink everywhere because I missed out a lot of things in the essays that I wrote, especially my Chinese essays. But what Paul is saying here is that these men, the leaders, the pillars of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, when they put his gospel side by side with his gospel, there was nothing for them to add because both the gospels had been given by Jesus Christ, and both the gospels had been specially revealed to them, and both of them were exactly the same. Now Paul then goes on to say that it's not just the gospel, which was the same, but both of these groups of people, uh, the Peter, James, and John, recognize that Paul had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. This as Peter had been to the Jews. Now this word here, entrusted, is in the passive tense. Okay, So it's not as if the apostles entrusted their gospel to Paul, but rather they recognized that God had entrusted the apostleship of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with preaching the gospel to the Jews. And this is very important because this word entrusting here is the idea of commissioning, the idea of delegation, the idea of authorization. And so what he's saying is both uh, Paul, the apostle, John, Peter, and James—they had both been entrusted with the apostleship of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to different groups of people: to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now, Peter wants to—sorry, Paul wants to get this straight right from the very beginning, right at the very start of um, Chapter Two, uh, because of. as we saw in chapter 1, because he was being challenged, right, by these false teachers uh, about the gospel that he was preaching. His authority as apostle was also being challenged. And so also, Paul shares about an incident which happened in Jerusalem. As he went there, as he was speaking to the pillars, to the leaders of the apostles, this incident, in a sense, uh, is sharing with us what the challenges are that the early church was facing, right? Some of the false teaching that was going around and some of the challenges to Paul's gospel as he preached to the Gentiles. And so what happened? When he went to Jerusalem, uh, he took with him uh, this fella called Titus, okay? So Titus here went along with Paul to Jerusalem. Titus, we are told, uh, was a Greek, okay? was a Greek. But because he was a Greek and he was a Gentile, he hadn't been circumcised. And so when Paul went to Jerusalem, there were people who were trying to, it says there, compel uh, Titus, compel Paul to get Titus circumcised. Okay, now this is very, very important because this is related by Paul for the sake of the Galatians. Okay, now Titus, it tells us, was a Greek. So Greek is here, and Greeks are Gentiles. Uh, They're not Jews, okay? So Jerusalem is here. The Jews, they are the ones who are circumcised. But the Greeks, the Gentiles, they were not. And so what was happening was, in uh, in Judaism, uh, the Jews said that circumcision was very, very important. Circumcision was a distinctive mark. Of being part of God's people, being part of the family of Abraham, being part of the promises that God had given to Abraham. So circumcision was really important to the Jews. And so, what they were saying, this circumcision group, was that uh, Christians, even after they become, uh, even if they're Gentiles, after they become Christians, they also had to be circumcised. Not enough just to believe in Jesus Christ but circumcision was something that was important and that, that needed to be done if you wanted to be considered part of the family of God. And so what they were saying was, it's not enough for you just to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You also need to add circumcision on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? It's like, it's not enough just to have faith in the grace of God. You need circumcision. And so there was this compulsion, okay? Compulsion. They wanted to compel Titus, who was Greek, to be circumcised. We're going to come across this word compel again. And so we need to pay attention to what this word compel means. It means that you must do it. There is a pressure, a force. It's like a rule, a requirement to be a Christian. And so in the book of Acts, we see the same thing happening here. Uh, this circumcision group uh, was kind of like uh, a common... Uh, teaching that seemed to be per- pervasive among the different Christian communities in the early church. And so, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, some main men came down from Judea to Antio- Antioch and were teaching the brothers. What were they teaching? They were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, and here is where the compulsion comes in, right? You cannot be saved. Right, they were compelling them because they were making it a rule and a regulation. Unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now it's a bit like uh, today, right, where uh, the government is saying, unless you're vaccinated, you cannot enter through the doors to the shopping mall. And so that's what they were saying in the past. These people, these Jewish uh, Christians who were advocating circumcision, they said, you know, yes, yeah, okay, you believe in Jesus. You have faith in Jesus, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. But unless you are circumcised, you cannot enter the doors of eternal life. You cannot enter the doors of salvation. You cannot enter the doors of the kingdom of God. And so how did Paul respond to this compulsion, uh, this sort of teaching? Well, Paul, it says, uh, completely rejected this compulsion for Christians to be circumcised. The first reason he gives was this. The first reason he gave was, look, this compulsion to be circumcised didn't come from the apostles, didn't come from the pillars of the apostles, didn't come from the leaders of the apostles, but rather, he said, it came from these people, and how does he describe them? False brothers. Okay, they were false brothers. They were not actually true brothers. And he contrasts them with the truth of the gospel, right? He said, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. And so what Paul is saying here is that uh, by adding circumcision to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were actually moving from truth, the truth, living out the truth of the gospel, to falsehood, okay? So adding Circumcision is not better, it's not good. it's actually moving from truth to falsehood. Paul also went on to say that uh, this matter, right, arose because some false brothers had infiltrated the, our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. So what Paul is really saying here is that when people move from the gospel of Jesus Christ to adding circumcision, we're actually moving from freedom into slavery. Now, we're going to learn a bit more about this in the following chapters, uh, but uh, I think it's important for me to preempt it now because if not, it doesn't quite make sense to you. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about freedom because of what God has done for us. It's all about God's free and undeserved mercy. It's about God's grace. It's about what Jesus has done for us when he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the cross. So in God's grace, in Jesus giving himself for our sins to rescue us, we have freedom. We have freedom from condemnation. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from eternal judgment. But what Paul is saying is, when you add your own work, the, the work of circumcision, you're moving back towards slavery. Because when you add your own works of circumcision, uh, you are now a slave to sin again. Uh, you are now a slave back into condemnation, a slave back into judgment. We're going to see how this works out as Paul goes on with his argument. Okay, So just remember this diagram that circumcision actually is moving from freedom to slavery. We're going to touch on this a bit later on. So, he tells them, look, do not be compelled to be circumcised or to add circumcision to to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you're moving from truth to false, from freedom to slavery. Now, Paul then goes on and speaks of another incident which happened Uh, In his life. And so in verse 11 it says. When Peter. This is the apostle Peter. Came to Antioch. I posed him to his face. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived. He began to draw back. And separate himself from the Gentiles. Because he was afraid. Of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you are, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, so what's happening here? So here we are, Uh, These are the apostles in Jerusalem. And there was another church, the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch was very different from the church in Jerusalem. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So it's a big city, right? And it was full of Gentiles. It was a multicultural, multi-ethnic city. And so the church in Antioch was made up of people who were converts, right? Converts from uh, Gentiles and made up also of some Jews. And so this multicultural church of Jews and Gentiles, they mixed very easily. The Jews and Gentiles, they came together and they were one in every way. There was easy mixing. And this easy mixing was seen uh, by the way they used to have fellowship among each other in eating on our meals. So here we go. We read that Peter, the Apostle Peter, he came up from Jerusalem to visit Antioch. When he first came to Antioch, when he first started eating, uh, visiting the church in Antioch, when he started mixing with the Gentiles who were converts there, it says there very clearly that he used to eat with the Gentiles. Okay, So he, he, he adopted their practice of this easy mixing between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so we see here Peter eating with the Gentiles in the Antioch church. Obviously, he doesn't look like this, right? But, but symbolically, that's what he did, right? When he first came to the church, they all ate together. But then, you know, so, oh, sorry, I need to tell illustration here. That's right. So I don't know about you, but I really um, miss uh, eating together. Okay, so that's one of the things I really miss at the church because of COVID. You know, I really miss morning tea, and I'm sure many of you miss this morning tea too, you know, where people bring the food that they cooked or, you know, the best, uh, you know, curry puffs or chui or whatever from their neighborhood and we could all eat together, we would sit together, we would chat, have a cup of tea and, you know, just find out about each other's lives. Uh, I miss going for lunch together, you know, where we you know, sort of get, you know, three or four really big tables and we'll just sit there uh, ordering food and eating for many hours, talking away about all sorts of things. And, you know, table fellowship is really, really important. It's a really big deal because I realized it it brings us together in a way that you can't can't really get online. But if table fellowship was a big deal for us today and we miss it because of COVID, then table fellowship in the ancient world was, I think, an even bigger deal. Because in the ancient world, a table fellowship uh, was a symbolic way of showing acceptance. So usually, right, in those days, you you have table fellowship in people's houses. And if you think about it today, you don't really invite your enemy to your house, right? You invite your friends, your close friends, people you accept. And so in those days, you know, fellowship among a meal, table fellowship was a sign of unity, a sign of acceptance. And that's why it was such a big deal when Jesus started eating with tax collectors and sinners. And that's why the Pharisees were so angry about it, right? You know? When Jesus had dinner at Levi's house with tax collectors and sinners, right, the teachers of the law, they were saying, you know, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because eating with them shows acceptance and, in a sense, unity. And so Peter here was eating with the Gentiles in the Antioch church because eating shows, in a sense, you're in, right? But what happened was, Peter, who initially started eating with with everybody in the fellowship meal, the Gentiles included, he started withdrawing himself. So he went off to eat by himself. And then Barnabas also followed, and then also the Jewish Christians. And so they set up their own table and then they started eating Jewish clean food. So the reason why. Uh, uh, you know, there was this separation happening it was because of the distinction between Gentiles and Jews and the food that they ate. So by Peter's action, he was really saying to the Gentile Christians, you're not really part of us anymore. There's no more table fellowship. There's no more no more table unity. There's no more table acceptance. Now this happened not because, you know, somehow... Peter had this theological insight. But it says that Peter drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles. Why? Well, it says that because he was afraid. Right? He was afraid of the circumcision group. And the circumcision group is the group that we saw initially in Jerusalem. Right? The, 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 these, these Jewish Christians who were advocating circumcision. So this circumcision group, it seemed, Right, uh, they had followed uh, uh, in the footsteps of Peter later on, and they'd now come to Antioch. But now when they were in Antioch, uh, they were not just saying that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, but you also needed to follow the Jewish food laws. And they were saying that even as, as Gentile Christians, uh, they should follow the Jewish food laws. And so that was what was happening. They were saying, it's not enough just to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You needed to have the Jewish food laws. And that was why Peter was afraid of this circumcision group who had come out from Jerusalem. And now he drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles because of the fear of this circumcision group who were advocating not just circumcision, but food laws, and therefore causing a separation between the Jews, and the Gentile Christians. So how did Paul respond? How did Paul respond when he was faced with this situation? He was very angry, right? So he called out Peter and said, you know, you are being a hypocrite. You are exercising hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is when you don't act in line with what you say. And so what? Paul was saying was, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So what Paul was saying was Peter was actually being a hypocrite, right? Because his actions and his living were not in line with the truth of what he was speaking and believing. So Peter was preaching the same gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel which was centered upon God's grace, the gospel which was centered upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who gave himself for our sins. So this is the core of the gospel. That's what Peter was speaking through his mouth. But the problem was, by his actions, he was saying that the gospel was not just about God's grace and God—that's Jesus giving himself for our sins to rescue us. But he was being a hypocrite. Why? because by his actions of separating himself and separating himself and saying, we need to eat clean food, he was saying that actually you needed not just to have the grace of God for salvation or the giving of Jesus just for salvation, you also needed to follow clean and unclean food laws. And Paul said, this is hypocrisy, right? This is hypocrisy. You are saying one thing, but yet you're acting another thing. And through your actions, what are you doing? You're actually compelling, right? You're forcing the Gentiles to follow this Jewish food laws. But Paul was not just saying that Peter said one thing and acted another thing. Peter, in in a way, was actually a double hypocrite. He says, look, you're, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so Peter lived like a Gentile. He didn't follow the law. He didn't worship in the temple, right? He didn't go to the synagogue to follow the Old Testament, right? He followed Jesus Christ. And before the arrival of the circumcision group, he also followed the Gentiles in eating, Unclean food. So Paul saying, look, you're a double hypocrite. You don't even live like a Jew, but you're let but through your actions, you are forcing the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Now this word here, very important word, force. This word here, force, is the same word we came across in chapter two at the beginning. This word here, force, is the same word compel. So what Paul is saying is that, um, is that by, by Peter's actions, he was no better than the false brothers in Jerusalem who were compelling Titus to be circumcised. Peter, he was saying, was no better than the false brothers because he was compelling the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Okay? To follow Jewish customs. Now, this is a very, very powerful charge by Paul. Because what he's saying is, Peter, through his actions, was not just compelling people to follow uh, uh, circumcision or clean or unclean food, but the whole of the Jewish customs of Judaism. So what Paul is really saying, if you can think of it this way, okay, so if you look at my hands here, right, it's like a wedge, okay, a wedge. So, Paul is actually saying that the following of circumcision, uh, the following of food laws is just a thin wedge to, to push into the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jewish custom, Jewish tradition. If you want to follow circumcision, then you'll follow the Jewish food laws. If you follow the Jewish food laws, then you follow other Jewish traditions. And then that's why he goes on in his argument to say uh, in, um, in the next chapter, uh, sorry, the next verse, that we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we know, right, that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So, what Paul is saying is this wedge thing, right? The, the thin edge of the wedge is circumcision, uh, then food laws, then Jewish customs. But all of it really fall then under the thinking of the law, the works of the law. And so, Paul says, well, you know what is it stake is justification. Okay, justification. Justification is a really important word. We came across this word last week already, but we'll go through it again. To be justified means to be judged in a legal way before God, to be declared not guilty, to be declared right. And so Paul asked the question, right? How is a person justified? How is a person declared not guilty before God? And he says, the thin thin end of the wedge is circumcision. Then we then go on to food laws. Then we do then go on to Judaistic practices. But all of this then comes under the works of the law, observing the law. So Paul says, you know, to be justified, do we follow the works of the law or do we follow faith? Paul says very clearly, right, that cannot be true because if you follow the works of the law, circumcision, clean and unclean food, Judaism, then you're bringing works to faith. And he wants to make very clear, so clear that he repeats it three times, right? He says, look, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Again, we know that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. All of us will be declared guilty. Whereas the way to be justified is to have faith in Jesus Christ. So what he says here is, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to make this very clear distinction that salvation only comes by faith and not by works. And therefore, if justification is only by faith, only by faith in what Jesus has done, then you cannot add the works of the law to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot add circumcision. You cannot add food laws. You cannot add Jewish customs. And so, in the same way, you cannot add circumcision, food laws, Jewish customs to Christian faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's like two separate ways of being justified, two separate ways of being saved. You cannot mix the two up. And therefore, you can only keep to one. Christian faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is salvation to begin with, to continue with, and to end with. It's all of salvation. You you, you cannot begin with the Christian faith or begin with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then add all these things later on. The Christian faith in what Jesus has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ stands in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of salvation. Now, this is very important for us to hear because I think as an application we are very tempted in our own proneness uh, to wander and our own pride and our own ability to add our own work to our Christian faith, right? To add our own work to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we may not add circumcision. Now, I, I'm not particularly fond of circumcision or getting circumcised. We may not add food laws, right? We may not want to add Jewish customs. But I think for many Christians, we also add our own work and say, you must do this on top of Christian faith, on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved, in order to enter that door of salvation. And so what are some of these works that Christians uh, add to the gospel? Well, one of them could be speaking in tongues. So I remember charismatic Christians who tell me, you must speak in tongues, right? You know, if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the Spirit of God, and therefore you are not saved. So what are they really saying? They're really saying that you have Christian faith, yes, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that's not enough. You must have speaking in tongues. If you do not have Christian speaking in tongues, then you're not really saved. And so they compel people to want to speak in tongues. Some other people say, unless you pray the rosary, or some people say, unless you have quiet time every day, you're not really a Christian, you're not really saved saved. again it becomes a work right uh, you know unless you do this you 're not saved now some other people say unless you evangelize a certain amount of people every year you're not really a Christian because you know evangelism shows that you know God 's power is within you again that's a work you're adding a work of evangelism to your faith in Jesus Christ now we may be sitting here in church, or we're not in church. We are sitting here at home, and we may feel superior. We may feel uh, a bit contemptuous. We look down on all these people. We say, "Ah, you know, we're not like that." But in our own way, in our church in uh, BDPC, we can also add our own work to our faith in Jesus Christ. So we may take pride in our Christian knowledge. You know, we may say, "Look, yeah, you have faith, but unless you have uh, you have all this Christian knowledge, right?" Unless you have this depth of Christian knowledge, you're not really a real Christian. You're not really saved. Uh, if you think like that, that's dangerous, right? Because you're, now you're adding your own work to your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's good to have Christian knowledge, but it cannot be a requirement, a rule. And so unless you have this Christian knowledge, you cannot be saved. In the same way, sometimes we add our own Christian ministry. You know, We, we, we become very proud of our Christian ministry. And because of our Christian ministry, we say, you know, unless you do this ministry... Uh, you're not really a real Christian. So um, I began the, the sermon by saying uh, that, um, um, you know, I like to add things to things. So, you know, you get a burger, you add your, your cook and your fries, you, you you watch a movie, you add a popcorn, uh, you, you buy a TV, you add a sound bar and a subwoofer. All very good, right? You add something to something, you get more. You add something to something, you get better. But that's not always true, right? So you get a cup of nice uh, ice-cold, fizzy Coca-Cola, and you add a uh, petrol or uh, you, you add your toilet cleaner. Is that better? No, right? It's not more. It's not better. It's much worse. In the same way, you will never allow anybody to compel you to add petrol or toilet cleaner to your Coca-Cola, right? In the same way, if you have your nice pair of chicken rice, uh, would it be better if you add dirt to your chicken rice or add laundry detergent to your chicken rice? Of course not, right? And so, in the same way, uh, you would never let anybody compel you to add dirt or laundry detergent to your chicken rice. So in the same way, we cannot let the world or or our own uh, weakness compel us to add anything to our faith in Jesus Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ, because all these things are destructive to this justification. So as uh, we learned, uh, I think I saw this diagram from Nick in the first sermon in the overview of Galatians. Justification comes 100% because of God's grace, Jesus giving his life for us on the cross, and our faith in what God has done for us in Jesus. But the moment you add your own work, Right, your own work or anything, it's like adding petrol or toilet cleaner or dirt or laundry detergent to your food. It, it doesn't make it better, in fact, it makes it inedible, it became, makes it poison, it makes it deadly. Right, and that's the same thing. Whenever we add our own works to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to God's grace or Jesus' work on the cross, it actually nullifies and destroys our justification. So therefore, Paul ends in this way, right? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So I hope that we learn from what Paul has told us today, that we do not add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not add to the work of Jesus, uh, the God, uh, Jesus' work on the cross. We do not add to the grace of God. Uh, adding anything, The gospel of Jesus adding anything to our faith is actually destroying uh, the work of justification that God has done for us. So I hope that all of us will see the seriousness of this or of what Paul is saying here, and that we will only keep to faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Let's go to God and pray, dear Father, as we come before you today. Uh, we really want to uh, commit ourselves into your hand because we know that we are no different from the Galatians 2,000 years ago. We're always tempted to add our own uh, acts of, uh, of righteousness, our own um, works of, uh, of, of, of justification, our works of the law. Uh, but help us to see that, uh, that all we need is uh, Jesus dying for us on the cross. All we need is your grace for us. All we need is to have faith. And that by adding any of our own works, we are actually destroying justification. That we are actually not getting better, but we're getting nothing at all. Uh, So we pray for ourselves that we would examine our lives and our hearts and be steadfast in not adding any work to uh, our faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor, for the message. Uh, we will now be moving on to a time of uh, breakout rooms uh, to discuss the sermon we just had. So please turn on your cameras and unmute yourselves, and we'll sort you out into the rooms uh, shortly. So there will be two questions uh, for the discussions. Uh, in what ways are we tempted to add and rely on our works to our faith in Christ Jesus? And in what ways do we face pressure from others to add and rely on our works? To faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg